Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. The show is a breakout from the CBS News Weekend Roundup, and every week we discuss issues including income inequality and gender. We're discussing now what some call hostile architecture. Advocates for the homeless say cities around the world are implementing planning designs, including spikes over street grates and slanted benches to keep the unhoused from sleeping or getting comfortable in public spaces. In some places, there are even boulders under viaducts to keep people from hanging out there. In Washington, D.C., activist Jesse Rabinowitz with the advocacy group Miriam's Kitchen started the Twitter handle at Hostile D.C. He tells me it tracks what he calls anti-homeless architecture and policy. That conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The goal of the Twitter page was to track and catalog all the different ways that D.C. specifically is hostile to people who are living outside um, for reasons of survival and safety and community. And this was really prompted by the the large-scale increase in crackdowns on unsheltered um, homelessness we've seen in the city, most notably through the form of encampment evictions. So on December 2nd, Mayor Bowser evicted the New Jersey and O Street homeless encampment, despite guidance setting from the Center for Disease Control saying that encampment should not be evicted during COVID, and despite outcries from many D.C. council members and many D.C.-based nonprofits and advocacy, advocacy organizations. So this had the effect of dis- displacing a lot of people from one encampment to somewhere else in the city. Um, and then that park will be converted into a permanent no camping zone. So for me, the eviction and displacement of homeless encampments and the subsequent creation of no camping zones is the most visible manifestation of hostile architecture in DC. However, there are a lot of other more subtle ways that hostile architecture plays out that people probably walk past every day. That's things like when you see a bench and it has a metal bar in the middle, that's there to prevent people from sleeping on it. When you go to a bus shelter and you notice the the bench is really small and a little bit curved, that's to make it uncomfortable for people to sleep on or sit on for long periods of time. And and I as I was traveling home for Thanksgiving to Virginia, I was at Union Station in the Grand Entrance and noticed that they had taken out all of the benches. Um, And that was done to prevent people from experiencing homelessness, from sitting there, from existing there, from trying to rest. But I think what that also shows us is that hostile architecture hurts us all. It means that people with disabilities don't have a place to sit. It means that senior citizens don't have a place to sit. It means that people who are tired or traveling or just want to take a load off for a little bit don't have a place to sit. So I think it's important for us to recognize that hostile architecture is all around us and it negatively increases the quality of life for everyone who lives in the city. 
And I've got to ask you, especially at this time of year, it's winter and there are, I've seen spikes on some of the grates in places where people used to be able to sleep and get warm. Yeah, it's disturbing. And what does that say about how we care, how we think about our unhoused neighbors? You know, we're we're already saying like, we're content to let, let you sleep outside. And now we're saying we want to make living outside as difficult as we can for you. It shows to me that DC has or continues to take this posture of we want to make it really difficult for you to experience homelessness outside. And instead of investing all of this money in special benches, removing benches, spikes, we should just invest all of this money into housing that ends homelessness. And for the first time in a long time, thanks to the D.C. Council, D.C.'s budget has resources to end homelessness for over 2,300 individual adults. So what we're asking the council to do is to focus on getting that money out the door and end homelessness for over 2,300 of our neighbors and to stop with this criminalization, displacement, eviction component and just focus on getting folks into housing because housing is the best way and the only way we know how to end homelessness. Well, D.C. is far from the only place that's doing that. I've seen examples in nations around the world. Why do you think there has been such a push for that? I mean, the economy is bad. There are a lot of people that lost jobs and what such during COVID. And I hear what you just said to D.C., but what what have some other advocacy groups that you've been working with have been what have they been suggesting that might be able to help? Yeah, I don't think we can have a conversation about homelessness in general or hostile architecture specifically without thinking about race and white supremacy. In D.C., about 85 percent of people experiencing homelessness are black, which is hugely disproportionate from the the black population in D.C. And I think this really boils down to a lot of racism and people hate people experiencing homelessness and they don't want to see them anymore. And so I think this is something that's happening in D.C., across the country and around the world to invisibilize people experiencing homelessness that overlaps with race and class. Um, And there's just such a prevalent thought factor of, I just don't want to see these people. I don't want to be confronted with the reality of D.C.'s homelessness crisis. And the solution is to displace people rather than the solution, which actually ends homelessness, which is housing. When people walking down the street see a bench like that, you know, one of the benches that only have space for one behind, you know, or the slanted benches that people can't sleep on. Is there something that they can say to government officials to make the make it known that they disagree with this? One thing we're asking people to do is to tag us on Twitter at Hostile DC so we can uh, uh, continue creating a collection of these different forms of hostile architecture in the city. But we also encourage people to contact their council members and the mayor, you know, things like WMATA bus stations, um, benches in public parks, like those are owned and operated by the District of Columbia. We can demand that our elected officials replace them with things that are more hospitable to people who are making the rational choice to live outside. Just talk to me really briefly about some of the services that your organization offers for people who are unhoused and really need help at this time of year where, you know, we've just passed Giving Tuesday and people's hearts are full and hopefully those that have full wallets can do something to help. Absolutely. So Miriam's Kitchen has operated in the Foggy Bottom area for almost 40 years. And we provide a whole host of services all the way from healthy in-house cooked meals all the way to housing. So we provide 
breakfast and dinner to folks five days a week. We have a team of amazing case managers who work to connect folks with housing. Um, we offer, uh, we conduct homeless street outreach uh, around large parts of the city. So connecting with folks in encampments and living in parks um, and living under bridges. And then we also provide permanent supportive housing to over 200 individuals across the district. So those are people that were experiencing homelessness for a long time and now have the housing that they need to thrive. And then we also do a lot of advocacy trying to push the mayor and the DC council to invest money to end homelessness and also enact policies that make homelessness less traumatic and less difficult while people are experiencing homelessness with the end result or with the end goal in mind of ending homelessness for everyone in the district. I've just got to ask you briefly, there are people out there that are thinking, well, okay, there are some shelters and there are some places for unhoused people to live, but not all of them want to go there, particularly women. How dangerous a situation is that? And is that why some people are just like, you know what, I'm just going to sleep under this under this viaduct? Yeah, there are really valid reasons why people choose not to go into shelter. And I like to think of them as things that start with P. It's just a helpful mnemonic. But um, pets, if you have a dog, you can't bring your dog to shelter. Um, that's a hard that's a hard thing to give up. And I understand why people choose to stay with their dog rather than go in a shelter. Um, possessions, you can only bring two bags into a shelter. So if you were carrying around all of your life's belongings with you, the choice is either maybe leave them in the bushes overnight and hope someone doesn't steal them so you can go into shelter or stay outside with your belongings and keep them safe. One is program rules. There are a lot of ways that people's autonomy is taken away in shelter, whether by curfews or, you know, when they can go outside, bed reservations, all of that stuff um, that makes that makes sense why people would choose not to. Partners, if you're in an opposite uh, sex relationship, you can't go to the same shelter as your partner. I know that if I were experiencing homelessness, I would choose to stay with my spouse, then split up every night to go to shelter. Um, and a big, big one is the pandemic. Um the shelters in DC have dozens of people in a small confined room um, where it's impossible to practice physical distancing. So people are realizing that the shelters are not safe during COVID and they're not safe even before COVID because there were so many people congregating in the same space that it just didn't feel safe and healthy. And another one is pests, um, bed bugs, roaches, uh, people are under the impression that shelters have a lot of pests and I can get why you would choose to not put yourself in a situation where you might have to sleep with pests. So I think all that's all to say is DC does have shelters and they work for some people and that's phenomenal. They also don't work for a lot of people and that's a rational decision that people are making. Um, and the solution to homelessness is not better shelters or more shelters. The solution to homelessness is housing, which is why we're hopeful the council will continue to push back on the mayor's policy of evicting homeless encampments and focus on the only known solution to homelessness, which is housing. That was activist Jesse Rabinowitz with the advocacy group Miriam's Kitchen. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? 
Come back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Tuesday. Follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.